Welcome, um, dear listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest um, on today's podcast, joining me via Zoom, I'm glad Zoom exists. That's one of the blessings, at least in my life because of COVID, is my friend Sadie Rogers. Welcome to the podcast, Sadie. Thank you so much for having me. It means a lot that I can be here. Um, Sadie is calling in from Southern California, and Sadie is in a same-sex marriage. Her wife's name is Quinn Kelly, and um, we're just going to let Sadie share her story. Um, Some would wonder why me, an active, committed Latter-day Saint, would have a couple in a same-sex marriage on the podcast, and it's a fair question. And I do this to try to bring us together as the same human family and to find unity within that human family, even in diversity, as, as people choose different paths, but to still preserve the relationship, preserve the family circle. Um, and Sadie's path is a path that might be a path that um, people that are gay and lesbian are exploring. And I think it's okay for them to hear stories as they're trying to write their own story. Um, neither Sadie or I are inviting people into a same-sex marriage. Um, I invite people to follow the teachings of the church, but if they self-determine that this is their best path forward, um, I'll walk with them and I'll support them and I'll recognize that by the teachings of our church, but not outside the circle of my love and support. So that's kind of the way I navigate this space, listeners. And um, so I just see Sadie on my screen as a fellow member of the same human family. We vote, voted for the same plan in the pre-mortal life, and part of that plan is agency. And I'm, I think we honor everybody's agency and leave judgment at the feet of our Savior and try to support and love each other. Is that okay for an introduction, Sadie? Yeah, no, that was, that was really cool. I really like the emphasis on agency. I think that that... Um, is the plan, right? That was God's plan for us to come down here and learn how to choose. And um, I respect you and your decisions in life and your, um, the things you're doing. And it, it really means a lot that you um, recognize that your love and support can go beyond, um, you know, maybe what the church teaches or what you specifically believe. Um, it means a lot that you're willing to reach outside of that circle and extend love and support to those who choose differently than you. It means a lot. Um, thank you. And just sometimes I try to give listeners an overview. Sadie, is, what I ask for my guests to do these days is send me an outline of kind of like the working script. And usually it's a one or two page and it helps me to understand um, kind of the flow. Um, but I listen, then it also allows me to kind of give you the 40,000 foot level before we get into Sadie sharing her story. So Sadie is 32 years old um, and um, she grew up in Gilbert, Arizona, realizes, realized she was gay. Um, and um, as part of that process, explored different paths and eventually married a man. Um, her husband Morgan and her were married for 11 years and she'll talk about that marriage that brought three kids into their family. And at some point in 20. 19, that marriage ended, and um, Sadie eventually felt her path, or uh, she'll talk about that, but Sadie and Quinn are now married. Sadie um, has a testimony of the goodness of her same-sex marriage, a testimony is kind of a LDS term, and also 
I'm going to use that same language, a testimony of the church. There's much that Sadie believes in in our church. So um, I recognize that not everybody that's fully participating in the church, you know, there's a lot of people that don't fully participate in the church and have um, love and support and belief in many or all aspects of the church. And it's not as black and white as I once thought. And I've also thought, you know, sometimes um, I think we extend grace to people that aren't in our church or people that are considering joining our church and love them and support them. But sometimes the hardest group to extend grace and love to are people that have separated themselves from our church. And I just think the principles of Christ and his ministry and his teaching should allow us to send grace and support and love to people that have chosen a different path and um, to not demonize them, but just acknowledge that, yeah, they've chosen a different path, but they're still the same human family. And what can we do to preserve the relationship? What contributions are they making in society and what can we do to support them? Professionally, Sadie, tell us what you do professionally. Uh, yeah, so I work at uh, as an EMT in an ER here in Southern California, and I get to see lots of fun, exciting things. And then I'm also keeping my three humans alive, <laughs> which is feels like a job too sometimes. <laughs> Tell us the age range of your kids. Yeah, so um, 11, 9, and 7. Those are they're all years. two years apart, and they're incredible kids. Well, they're lucky to have you as a mom. Thank um, you. I love that you're out Sorry. there on the front lines. EMT is serious work. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> takes a special person to want to be an EMT and be on the front lines of people that come in with our experience in the EMT or when we are in desperate need of people with your level of expertise. And we're grateful for what you're doing in society to heal people from a medical standpoint. There's also emotional cancer. Um, capital there that you spend as people are emotionally in a tough spot and um, the skills you have to calm people down and help people in difficult situations. All right, listeners, that's kind of the end of our my introduction. And now we'll get into the story. Um, but go ahead and just start telling us where you grew up in high school and college. Go through that section. Yeah, so um, grew up in a typical Mormon family, Gilbert, Arizona. There were six kids in my family um, and really um, it was a good upbringing, um, but it was also very, um, I'd say Gilbert, Arizona is pretty like homogenous. There's not a crazy amount of diversity or um, differences um, in culture or belief. Uh, so I, I, I felt like I grew up in this pretty homogenous place um, where but then I got into high school and that's where you kind of meet more people and you branch out a little bit. Um, I started playing sports with people of different religions. Um, I started, you know, making friends and eating dinner with people of different ethnic backgrounds. Um, and then I also started meeting, um, gay people, which was something, were something I had never interacted with any, with, I I'd never like really interacted with gay people before until like high school sports. Um, and that was a new experience for me. Um, I ended up, um, I had this one friend that was a, was a girl that was openly identified as gay. And, um, I ended up kissing this girl, um, and having, 
you know, strong feelings for her. Um, and I, but that didn't fit with this, with these beliefs, this set of beliefs that I had. So I felt really bad. And I went to my Bishop and I said, Bishop, this is what I did. Um, I'm so sorry. And luckily I had a pretty cool Bishop that was just like, Hey, is this, is this going to happen again? Is this a long time thing? And I was like, no, it's never going to happen again. I promise. <laughs> um, and so he's like, you're good. It's okay. Things happen. Um, and then a year later, uh, the same thing ended up happening again with a different, um, woman. And so here I am, I find myself 17. I've, I've done at that point, I considered kissing a woman a sin. So I had made the same mistake twice, even after I promised I wouldn't. Um, so I go to my Bishop again and I said, I did it again. And again, I feel like he did the best he could in his situation. And he said, okay, well, so it's happened twice. Maybe we should go to therapy. And I'm like, okay, yeah, therapy sounds good. But I was 17 and it meant that I had to get a parent's signature, which meant I needed to tell my parents what happened. Um, so I tell my parents, I go to therapy and I have three sessions with this therapist and I realize he's trying to tell me that I have same sex attraction, that I'm gay. And I, again, this just didn't fit my narrative. It didn't fit what I taught was good. What I was taught was okay. Um, so I went to my parents after that and I was like, I really don't want to go to therapy anymore. Please don't make me go back. I won't do anything like this ever again. Just a question on the therapist. Is this a, so the therapist is trying to help you understand that you might, or you do have same sex attraction and you're gay and, and your feeling is no, I'm not. And that's why you quit therapy or is he a conversion therapist? You're both agreeing you have same sex attraction slash gay and he or she is trying to use conversion therapy to make you straight. Just explain that yeah. to our listeners. In fact, it was a little bit of both. <laughs> me wanting to stop was me. It was like, I didn't want to assume the identity he was kind of maybe trying to lead me into and tell me what I was feeling. But also it ended up that he was a conversion therapist. And I had a friend that ended up that actually saw him for many years as a conversion therapist. And so unbeknownst to me, I feel like I could have had a completely different experience had I stayed in therapy with him. Um, so it was, it was both, I guess. That's good. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, respect for going to your Bishop, this and respect for talking to your parents. This is, um, <laughs> takes a lot of courage to open up. I mean, it's one thing to mess up, um, sin wise in any way, but to sort of acknowledge that you've kissed a woman and talk to your bishop about that, talk to your parents about that because you're going to need their signature. That takes a lot of courage, Sadie. So respect. Sounds oh, like thank you're... you. It was hard, but I did. I believe. I believed, and I believe so much in every in what we teach at church about repentance and being better and changing for good. And, um, that was the motivator for me. Like I, I wanted to be good. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And that motivated me to take the proper steps 
And at that time, that's what it was, was to confess those sins. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I guess I just really love Jesus. And so I, I'm willing to, you know, talk to whoever I need to talk to, to be good with him, you know? <laughs> that's great. Thank you. Um, so I kind of, I left high school in this space where I actually, I realized that I had attraction towards women. I liked women, but I didn't want it part of my identity. So I would spend many nights on my knees praying that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't find anybody to love. Just please don't. I just want to be alone. I just want to do what God wants me to do. Please just, I will live a celibate life being devoted to you. That's what I want. Cause I didn't want to do anything bad again. I, um, so I kind of left high school, went into college in that state where I was like, I just want to be alone. Um, but then pretty quickly I went out to Boston for college and I ended up meeting my husband, um, really nice guy, um, fell in love and, um, did the, did the quick, uh, get married thing and start having kids really quick. Um, and we had those three kids and it was, it wasn't a bad marriage. It, we, we were best friends. We got along really well and it was really beautiful. And I would kind of like, it had surprised me. I, um, I, that wasn't, you know, when I left high school, I had a certain thought in mind, but I had been given something different and I was really grateful for this beautiful life that I had built. Um, and so I have these three kids and, you know, when you're having kids, it's, crazy survival mode. You're just trying to stay afloat. Um, but then the kids start getting a little bit older and you start, you know, you get some breathing room and you have more time to focus on yourself. Um, and while our marriage was pretty good, there's ups and downs. Um, and I was in therapy at one point when I realized that, um, I still had those sexual attractions towards women. Like they were there, even though I hadn't exercised them since high school, it was still present. Um, and I realized that in therapy. So I ended up going to my husband and saying, I think I'm bisexual. Like, I love you. I love our family, but also I still have these feelings towards women. And it was actually, he took it really well. Um, it was a, it was an identity that I was able to accept where I could keep everything that I wanted but also ex accept this integral part of myself that I hadn't ever accepted before. Um, which is, I think is calm happens. That's a, sometimes that's a common step that people take. They assume the bisexual, I mean, some people are just bisexual, but I assumed that as a way to kind of cope with my life, you know? Um, so things were good for a while um, under that, and that worked out well. Um, around the same time, I was actually experiencing some spiritual, I would say growth. Um, what was happening was actually the ordained women movement was happening. Um, and I was never part of the ordained women movement. I didn't ever get involved, but a lot of people were talking about it. And what had happened for me was I was talking to some 
members of the church that I really respected that would say sentiments to the, to the tune of, if these women want the priesthood, they should go somewhere else. And that sentiment was hard for me to hear. Like when it was said, it, it almost hurt my feelings because the thought is we would rather have people leave the church of God than find a way to um, create space for them, right? To have discussions or sit in discomfort. Um, so it was around the ordained movement time that I was spiritually kind of like, whoa, do I believe that? Do I believe people should just leave the church if they don't believe in everything that I believe in? Um, and it, it was a time of like deep spiritual growth for me where I, um, was able to shed a lot of, um, cultural dependency and more like Christ centered testimony. I felt like, um, and I came to the conclusion where, you know, I, I don't, really care what you believe. I just want you to, um, do what, what you feel like and what God wants you to do, you know, and my path was in the church and that's what felt good to me at the time. It's a really good segment. I wrote down, um, it's interesting that as you were kind of processing people's feelings around the ordained woman movement, that your, your spiritual growth increased. It wasn't like a step backwards for you you felt like you actually grew spiritually and your testimony of the church increased. I don't think you use that exact language, but it sounds like your commitment to the church increased. And this phrase you said, I center, I separated some of the cultural, I wish I could replay that and focus more on the Christ centered. <laughs> that was really um, beautiful. And um, listeners, you know, I think this is an example of shaming language we sometimes use where if someone doesn't quite fit the mold, we say, well, just go somewhere else. I hear that um, for BYU students that are deeply committed to the church, have worked their whole life to get into BYU. And if they're LGBTQ or have different feelings and just open up about those, we say, well, just leave. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think it acknowledges the complexity of their situation, how invested they are in BYU and the church and actually have fundamental testimonies of the church. I guess you can't have a testimony of BYU, but you love BYU and you want to be there so you get a good education. And so the principle I think is, you know, I think of Elder Ballard's talk where he said, you know, stay in the boat, but I think sometimes it's on us to help people. They belong in the boat. And um, I thought of this for quite a while. And I, somebody on Twitter, as I was interacting says, you know, what we really need is just a really big boat. And, I love that. And, because there's a, there's a principle there of just, and I think Christ mimic, taught it in his ministry, is just create space for people. So there are people that support our doctrine, but perhaps hope something changes in our doctrine. And mm-hmm. if they open up, in a, open up in a way that doesn't feel like they're creating a movement or, not, or no more than our leaders, but they're just expressing something that is uncomfortable to them um, regarding a current issue, a historical issue, let's let's give them grace to and honor just their courage to be open about how they feel and, and not use this shaming language, go somewhere else. It just shuts down the conversation and it's sort of a litmus test or a, to see if they're really 
um, in this very narrow lane that to me is not the lane that Christ sort of tried to um, teach in his ministry. Is that okay, Sadie, the way I, any thoughts on that or your clarifications or thoughts? I agree with that, that it just, um, that question or that response, why don't you go somewhere else or go somewhere else? It's very, it doesn't feel Christ-like to me. I felt like Christ took all those people that didn't feel like they had a place and gave them a place. And so if there is a place for anyone, I believe it's God's church. And if we believe this is God's church, there's gonna be a way for everyone to be able to be there. And so I think that there's a, um, there's a way to kind of talk to people about going somewhere else without shaming, right? There's a way to be like, so do you feel like you would be happier somewhere else? Or, you know, that would be a different way to phrase it instead of being like, go somewhere else or, you know, why don't you just leave? It's, it's, it's a little condescending to hear that instead of like different phrasing, like ask that person where they feel comfortable or, um, you know, there's different ways to phrase it. I think that are more helpful than go somewhere else. And I think that's good. And I don't want to spend too much time in this, but I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I think of our political parties and, you know, if you don't, yes. and maybe, and I think that mindset shouldn't apply to our church culture. A political mm-hmm. party is, you know, maybe if you don't agree with the political platform of your party, that's an invitation. You should find a different political party. But I think our congregations should have a higher, different bar. Elder Cook and conference talk talked about unity and diversity. And so I think we need to create space in our congregations. I've always felt there shouldn't be a belief or behavior hurdle for welcome in a congregation. There is for the temple. There's belief and behavior mm-hmm. requirements to go to the temple. But our congregation, I've always felt the gate should be wide. Um, yes. As we're all trying to come into Christ, and we're going to have differences, obviously political differences, but even different feelings about current issues in our church and historical issues. and. We're just having honest conversations about those and how we feel. I think that should be something that should feel safe. If we're creating movement, um, and I realize ordained women did sort of create a movement. That's what it was for a me, movement, yes. That's for me would be a line in the sand where I'm campaigning for our doctrine to change. That would be something that I wouldn't support. Um, but I do support having honest discussions in our congregations about how we feel. Mm-hmm. So Keep sharing your story. That was a good, good a section. Sidetrack there. It's good. It's good stuff. It's not sidetrack. It's all part of the same story, I think. Um, so we get to 2019, um, and I'm feeling like, at, in my opinion, my marriage was in the best place it had been of our 10, 11 year marriage. Um, I'm Relief Society president. Cool. I have a. Yeah, it was fun. I was like 28. You're like, Relief Society oh, president. Relief Society president. <laughs> in Southern California, they'll let anybody do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding. Um, so, and I have a really good like friend group that, and I'm just, life is feeling really good. Um, and I ended up um, having this one friend that I realized I was starting to have romantic feelings for. And this was 
the first time in my marriage that this had, that I had felt this way, um, towards someone. And so I ended up going to my husband and saying, I have these feelings and I don't know what to do with them. Cause she was like my best friend. We were very, very close. And, um, you know, we kind of sat and had a, what we felt like was a reasonable, reasonable conversation of, you know, everybody has feelings, but our life is really good right now. And you just don't have to act on it. You don't, you know, you don't do, you don't have to do anything about it. And I was like, you know what, you're right. I can, I can have these feelings and I don't have to do anything about it. Um, which is easier said than done. Um, and so a month or two later, I ended up while I was married to my husband, I ended up kissing this woman, this friend. Um, and this was a point in my life where kind of all my fake walls that I had put up crumbled, where I realized there is no hiding this anymore. And, and the biggest thing for me was that not only was I, um, you know, I had sort of been maybe pushing my feelings away about my sexuality, but in doing so, I had um, broken my covenants and hurt both my husband and other people in my life and God. You know, these were promises that I made that I broke. And that, um, sort of that I don't, those aren't values I live by. I don't live by lying and untrustworthy actions. Like that was, um, it was a, it was a difficult moment, a difficult time for me to navigate what I had done and what I was feeling and where to go from there. Um, so I ended up, I ended up telling my husband, I, um, I told him and I told my Bishop and I started the repentance process, um, which was, um, hard and beautiful. Um, I sort of had a, um, you know, when that kind of stuff happens, it really comes just down to you and Jesus. Like you just, you develop such an intimate, um, relationship with the savior. Um, and I just, I couldn't, um, listen to anybody else anymore. I just had to listen to what I was feeling from the spirit. So, um, during that time I was reading my scriptures, studying conference talks, you know, meeting with the Bishop and I, um, the two biggest like constant feelings I was getting from God were, um, get to know yourself and be still. And these two impressions just continually came to me. Um, so I did, I was going through more therapy again and I realized, okay, I have sexual attraction towards women. I am lesbian or gay. I prefer the term gay just cause it's a little bit easier. Um, so 
what do I do with this now? And, um, I kind of had in my mind a certain picture, you know, when you go through the repentance process, you think it's going to be, things are going to be restored in a certain way. Um, but when it came down to it, um, my husband wasn't able to be in a mixed orientation marriage, which is what, what essentially we were at that point. Um, so, um, at the beginning of 2020, I am getting divorced. I've lost my friend group. I'm obviously no longer a Relief Society president. And, um, and actually a different breast, my best friend from the time I was four ended up dying from cancer all at the same time. Um, so it was a really rough and depressing time for me in the beginning of 2020. And then we all know what happens in February and March of 2020, the world shuts down. Um, so I was feeling really depressed and I ended up reaching out, uh, feeling like I needed to reach out to somebody that might, or someone that might have know a little bit of what I was going through. And I ended up reaching out to North star. Um, which is actually where I ended up meeting my wife, Quinn. <laughs> um, and I, meeting Quinn and meeting different people in North Star really just um, gave me a space to be able to talk and be open and um, make genuine connections with people who are going through difficult things in context of church and real life. So I felt lucky to be able to reach out. Um, that was a really vulnerable segment, Sadie. Um, thanks for your courage just to share that. I, I think vulnerability is a gift and it helps other people that need honest people in their lives as they're walking difficult roads. Um, I do, you know, I respect you for sort of being a stand-up person. And even though, you know, you, I think you used the language, I didn't follow my covenants. You went through the repentance process. You told your husband. So I would say there's a level of what I'd call a stand-up person, um, just to sort of take ownership for what happened. And I love then some of the things you learned, you know, get to know yourself and be still. And, um, and I recognize, you know, your marriage ended and listeners. And I wrote this in my first book about embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints chapter nine as a chapter. And it talks about mixed orientation marriages. And, and I, my thought in that chapter with just paraphrasing it, when I hear of a marriage that fails, a straight marriage or a mixed orientation marriage, my old self would kind of want to kind of get to the backstory and find fault and sort of, you know, okay, this is, but my new self is trying not to do that and just recognize mm -hmm. that I, as an outsider, have no way to understand the complexities of another marriage to elevate one spouse over the other spouse and just recognize it's a marriage that ended. I'm not going to try to find the backstory or the villain or the cause or the one that's more or less at fault. I'm just going to extend grace that to both 
members of that marriage that's ending. And, and in, if I can't, you know, sometimes if it's a family member, you sort of, I don't know if take sides is the right words, but you get a little more involved if it's a direct family member to support mm-hmm. the family member. Um, but if you're kind of a neutral party, I think you just try to support both people and don't spend mm-hmm. your emotional, your mental capital trying to figure out, well, what's the real story here? And and sometimes yeah. we do that to protect our own marriage because if we can find out what sort of unraveled in someone else's marriage, we can look at our own marriage and say, well, it's not going to happen to me. But to me, that's not really good ministering. <laughs> so yeah. I just think we extend grace and recognize that this is the reality of what happened. And I, and try not to use shaming language, you know, that whatever we might say to a couple whose marriage has ended, or if we're even aware that you had a relationship with a woman while married, we just try not to use shaming language to describe you and in a negative or a villainistic, that's a word that I just made up way. We just have a fact-based discussion about what happened if we're if we're sort of in the circle, we need to have a fact-based discussion. So anyway, those are just my thoughts about that. And I recognize then you went to North Star, not to find a wife. <laughs> I, I did not. But just I, to try to navigate this road. North Star, as listeners may know, is supportive of the church and supportive of LGBTQ SSA members. Um, so just kind of, you can go forward. Yeah. Or if there's anything I said you want to clarify or uncomfortable with, please do. No, I I loved what you said. And that's actually, it's kind of, I feel like this is how God works with me is if I ever like judge somebody for something they've done, you know, I like sit on the outside and I'm like, well, I would have done that differently or no way I'd do that. And then like, I find myself weeks later in the same situation and I'm like, oh, why did I judge that person? Because I just, you know, I, um, if there's anything I've learned over the past few years, it is, I don't know that person, what they've been through, but God does. And my, my role in that is not to judge them or decide what's best for them. It's between them and God and they get to figure it out. And I get to either support and help them or leave them alone. Like I, those are my two options. Um, so yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that because it is it's this part of my story isn't isn't very pretty and it's um, not the first thing I want people to know about me. In fact, it's probably the last thing I want people to know about me. Um, but I do want people to know me and know I'm not perfect and know that I've been through some things and maybe you have too, but there is hope somewhere on the other side. And not all marriages that experience infidelity end in divorce. And this is what happened in mine. And I don't even know that it was necessarily from the infidelity and it was probably more from some other things, you know? So it's just, um, I appreciate the thought of not, um, not shaming or judging people because we're all evolving and we're not here to be perfect. We're here to learn. And I have learned a lot <laughs> clearly. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so I went to North star just planning to live the rest of my life celibate. There's no way I was going to marry a man after, you know, trying to stick it out with somebody. So I was just like, okay, I'm leading this life where it's just going to be me and my kids and God, and this is what we're going to do. 
Um, but I pretty quickly met Quinn, um, who honestly is just the most wonderful person ever. I love her so much. Um, but what was cool for me with her, we started just by exchanging emails back and forth. And she just had this one line in this email one time that said, she said, I wouldn't change being gay, even if I could. And I was like, wait, what? Like, you wouldn't change this? I like in my head, the ideal is to be straight and being gay or having same sex attraction was just something I had to like knuckle through. And this is what I've been given in this life. But Quinn had the you know, wherewithal to be like, no, I think God is proud of this part of me and he loves this part of me. And that was a paradigm shift for me that, um, has changed my whole life, like given me hope again, that, um, this thing, this attraction towards women is actually something God wants for me. It's not a bad thing. It is in fact an incredibly beautiful thing that I can use to love other people and help other people love him too. Um, so that was a big deal for me. And so Quinn and I are emailing back and forth and I realize I'm having feelings again. I'm feeling these romantic feelings. So I go to God and I say, I will run away if you want me to run away. I just want to do what you want me to do. And um, what I got back from him was just love her like you should love her, like you want to love her. And um, so that's when we started dating. And um, it was during a pandemic, so it was a little tricky. But we got to date and it was... um, we dated for like a year. Well, it was like nine months um, before I got a call from my bishop. And he ended up calling me and saying, um, are you living the law of chastity? And that was a, a weird phone call to get. And I, again, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So maybe the rules are different. But he just said, are you living the law of chastity? And I said, are you sure you want to go into this? Cause this is the same Bishop that I've been a relief society president with, um, that I knew very well. It's like, are you sure you want to go into this? And he was like, yeah. And so I told him, no, I wasn't. And he, um, we ended up having three meetings. He sent me to my stake president and the stake president informed me that we were, would be, that they'd be holding a council for me next week. Um, And in that meeting with my stake president, it was uh, the most traumatic meeting I've ever had with a church leader. And it was incredibly unfortunate. I ended up having my first panic attack that I've ever had. I've never had a panic attack before until that meeting. Um, And I was in a place mentally that I had never been before. And um, I know. I I did not want to be alive after that because of the things that transpired in that meeting and the upcoming council that was going to be held for me. Um, So I ended up, I was really in a bad place. And what ended up happening was my 
future mother-in-law at this time, Quinn and I are just dating my Quinn's mom ends up cold calling the general relief society board who ends up calling the general area authority who calls the 70 who then calls my stake president. And, um, it happens over a few days, but I don't know what's happening. I am just, I, again, am in a bad place. And um, they ended up canceling the council. They ended up calling it off. Um, which, you know, was, I guess, a little bit hopeful. Like, okay, there was something off. Maybe we don't need to hold councils for, you know, previous Relief Society presidents that are not, you know, trying to change anything in the church, but are just trying to make their own choices. Um, so it was a little bit hopeful, but the damage that transpired over, over those interactions with my leaders was lasting. So um, it didn't, it wasn't like, oh, yay, victory for me. Thanks for sharing that part of your story. Um, I recognize a couple of thoughts here, listeners, is um, we're all going to have different feelings about the experience that Sadie just expressed. And um, I'm sensitive if your stake president, your bishop's listening, or any other people. I think none of us want to cause anybody, I think we want to honor your story, but also just not have anybody feel like they're being called out. It's just a mm -hmm. delicate space and, but it's the reality mm -hmm. of your experience. And, um, you know, my experience, I've never been a bishop or a stake president of a home ward. I was of a YSA ward and I always felt a membership council worked best if we kind of canceled together ahead of time. And if the member felt like it would be helpful for them, unless it was required by the handbook to hold a membership council and, I was never in a situation where it was ever required. And the way the handbook reads right now, it's not required to have a membership council if you're in a same-sex relationship or a same-sex marriage. Um, but some bishops and stake presidents feel impressed to call them, and they certainly, that's allowed within the handbook to do them. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just not yes. required. So it's just a delicate space and I don't want to prescribe to leaders how to run their wards or stakes, but that's just how I handled it is um, if it wasn't required, I, I like Elder Ballard's counseling together and I would actually counsel with the YSA um, before we did one and say, this is the process. Um, would this be mm -hmm. helpful for you as part of the repentance process? Um, do you want to move into a space to be fully, um, to be, to be able to fully participate in the church? And if they didn't, it usually didn't seem helpful to perf to have a membership council if their goal wasn't to fully participate in the church. And so that's just the way I kind of navigated that. But there were some that said, yeah, I understand the process, Bishop. I understand. And it would actually help me to go through the membership council. Mm. Um, I want to be a part of that because I want to break the cycle um, and return to full fellowship in the church. And going through that process I feel impressed would really help me. Others felt like, yeah, I want to return to full fellowship, but I don't think a membership council would help me. I would just like to work with you <laughs> to get to yeah. full fellowship. So we kind of canceled together and I got their input and then would pray as a priesthood leader the best way to proceed. 
without a standard answer for every situation, but trying to respond to the uniqueness of the situation. Now, saying all that, I'm not saying I would have done different than your stake president. I don't want to say that um, I just recognize it's a complicated space. Um, and it is complicated. And I do, I do not envy priesthood leaders. I don't envy my leaders that, you know, were that are put in that position where you feel sort of this, you need to protect the church and you kind of have to, I understand that's a, that's a sacred holy thing and they're doing the best they can. Um, and that's, you know, I, I recognize that it's not easy. I also, you know, just going beyond that and I don't really want to go into specifics, but I think as leaders, we can, I I don't mean we, I guess, I guess leaders can be, um, I, I think that's a great thing to be able to counsel about what the best path forward was. Cause I, I wasn't under any illusions that I would never go through a council. I, I, I had thoughts and I thought I would go to my Bishop. I thought I would be the one to say, Hey, this is what's happening in my life. And these are steps that I feel comfortable taking or whatever, but it it just came a little out of the blue for me. And I think my expectations were different. I, That's I, interesting. I expected a little bit more, um, it's interesting compassion. And I felt like I got less of that. Um, because in contrast, Quinn went to her Bishop around the same time. And she said, you know, I'm dating a woman and, um, I'm happy and this is what I'm doing. And he said, you know, I encourage you to try and go to the temple. And, you know, because of where we were, you know, the things we were pursuing, she was like, well, that's, that's not in my goals. So he was like, okay, well, we would still love to have you at church. Please bring your girlfriend, please bring their kids, her kids. We would love to have you guys. And her ward has been continually supportive of both me and Quinn, um, where I would also like my ward has also the individual members. There's been quite a few members that are very supportive, but from the leadership, I did not get the same support as Quinn got, which is interesting to me because it's the same doctrine. These, uh, you know, you're working under the same doctrine, but there were completely different reactions. And again, I don't envy priesthood leaders, because sometimes that's how it works. You feel inspired or inclined to do certain things, but those things also have consequences. And for me, it was rough. It was, it was really, really rough. That's a really good segment. And when people open about a traumatic church experience, my old self would have probably said something like, Sadie, you're overthinking that, or they really didn't mean that, or you're being so sensitive. And I recognize that that would just add to your trauma. So my new self (laughs) sort of sits with you in the pain, even if I haven't experienced that kind of pain and say, and I recognize you could be a faithful Latter-day Saint. And and if I sit within your pain and honor your trauma, even if it's sort of church-generated trauma, I don't think that drives the wedge between you and the church deeper. I think there's that people validate that it was a difficult experience. And I recognize I can validate that even as a committed Latter-day Saint. And 
I don't sell out my church to sort of validate a difficult experience you've had. So that's listeners the way I kind of navigate that. And um, I, I recognize this is, you know, people are going to have different interpretations. Some would say this is kind of local roulette or bishop roulette or stake president roulette, right. where it's the same mm-hmm. doctrine, but you get personal preferences or personal sort of takes on how to apply situations. Um, and I'm open to that. I'm open that it's possible even that both leaders did the right thing in their situation, even though it was yep. the same two people. So I, I just create space for a lot of different possibilities in this, but I think it's okay to talk about it um, because, yeah. and to sort of think about it ahead of time, if we're a parent or in this space or a local leader and these kind of stories, I wish I had heard before I was a local leader. Cause I think when we, no better, we do better. Um, and I do recognize something that um, is interesting that you did point out, but I just want to make sure our listeners heard it. You, I think in your mind, because you've done this historically, you've sort of proactively reached out to your bishop, um, to your husband, um, mm-hmm. and you weren't really like found out and then sort of had to go talk to somebody. You've been pretty stand up is the term. So I think in your mind, you were going to continue that model. But it caught mm-hmm. you off guard to sort of be um, in, in kind of a new space where you're confronted with this. And, and that's just something for us to consider, you know, is it, is it best to confront people? Now, if you were a current Relief Society president or in a calling an award, that's a different yes. thing. Um, yes, I this think time I'm divorced. Yeah. <laughs> you are in the same ward, um, but you're, and you're not sort of, and you're just sort of saying, this is my path. I'm not asking other people to go down this path. And so it's just, it's worth just a conversation. And I don't, I'm not trying to come to one correlated conclusion here, but I think it's just good we're talking about. It. I do think Christ wanted to make everybody feel welcome. So I do think there's a principle that everybody should feel welcome in the congregation. So I love, what um, Quinn and you are feeling in her congregation. And to me, that's not selling at our doctrine or not standing up for truth. It's just uh, helping everybody feel welcome so they can feel the love of Christ and hear um, music and things that just connect them with Heavenly Father and our doctrine in Christ and hope and healing. And I think Christ would want everybody. Elder Uchtdorf said, there's no sign at our door that says our testimony needs to be this high to enter. And I think that's a principle that we shouldn't create litmus tests to feel welcome in our congregation. Now, if you're going to stand up and be an activist during the, that's a problem. Yeah, there's, <laughs> you can't, I get it. I, I definitely get that, that there's, you know, there's a certain amount of like reverence and certain rules that need to be followed inside the church. And I think that that's also sort of what, caught me off guard because when I entered into this relationship with Quinn, I knew I wasn't going to be able to go to the temple anymore, which was like really hard for me because I love the temple. Um, and um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to hold the calling or partake of the sacrament or the list of things. I knew those things. Um, but it sort of extended beyond that. I was asked um, not to speak in second hour um, when I attended church, like not to make any comments. I was, you know, explicitly told if I was coming with my girlfriend slash wife, like 
no public displays of affection. So even if we were like sitting in the pew, no putting your arm around each other or holding hands and that there were, there were added things, which again, as a priesthood later, you're inspired to enforce what you feel like you need to enforce. But these were, there were added things that were unexpected for me. And I didn't realize, I don't know, I'm a 32 year old, been in the church my whole life, pretty stable person. And my interactions with my leaders shook me to a mental place that I had never been. And it just makes me think about maybe some of these younger people who don't have the life experience I have. Maybe some of um, these people that don't have a support system that I have, a a Kathy Kelly who's going to call Salt Lake and say, hey, this membership council shouldn't be held. You know, like, I think if there's something to be learned here, I'm not saying anybody necessarily did anything wrong, but what I'm saying is as leaders, you have a priesthood power and it means a lot to those you interact with. And I think if you're just careful about the words you use and how you proceed with disciplinary things, it's, um, it, it, it affects, it has a special effect on your congregation and the people you're working with. And I'm not saying that what they've done is wrong, but I'm, I am saying it's had effect on me and it hasn't been great, but I do think that there can be discussion around how to improve that. So there's less trauma tied because I know a lot of people that have left the church I now I know a lot of people that have had terrible interactions with church leaders and um, I think that the I think we can we can do a little better I say we I say we like I'm still I'm still like, a temple going uh, member of the church. I'm not, I say it's just a natural thing that comes you're to me. <laughs> because you're part of the body of Christ. Um, there we go. Paul talks I'll, about. So I like you saying we, I say we, but I realize some people would not want me to include myself with we in the church, but it's okay. Um, yeah, I understand it's a tricky space, but I think that there's, there can always be improvement with how we interact with people. It's a good segment. And, you know, I'm, I'm remembering advice my brother, who was serving as a stake president, gave me when I was called to be a YSA bishop. And he actually put his hand up and he says, you know, I felt, um, ex, the term was excommunicating back then. He said, you know, if, if a membership council, unless it's required, if it's just going to drive them further, I think when we excommunicate people, we lose them forever, was his general feeling. And he said, you know, but if somebody, if we use that not to drive them further down, but to actually, if they want to return to full fellowship and the disciplinary process is a part of the repentance process to return to full fellowship, that's where, unless it's required, that's where he felt it really Mm -hmm. made sense after his experience. And that really resonated with me. It was a very important short discussion he had with me, but it 
um, created a framework for me that just still sits with me. And, and so I think there's just nuggets that might be helpful for you if you're a local leader and you don't, to me, you're not selling out the doctrine of our church. Um, you're just, um, thinking about this with, I think more, more inspiration leads to better revelation as you're receiving revelation for your area stewardship just getting more input and more points of view um, yeah. results potentially in better revelation. And I have heard of people that have had membership councils that are beautiful, beautiful experiences. And I do think that those are the people that are maybe looking for fellowship back in the church or, you know, looking to, you know, live a certain way and want to um, go through that process. Um, so it's just interesting. Um, everybody has different paths and it's hard to, to know as a priesthood leader, the right thing to do. Um, but I think that, you know, I think that's a good, I think that's good advice. What, what you just said. And obviously if there's, um, there's just complications of every single case. So I don't think either of us want to create mm-hmm. a, a certain narrative. Obviously, if there's um, a spouse that's been significantly injured by infidelity, I, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there's there's yes. you know, there's trauma there for the other spouse that sometimes mm-hmm. a disciplinary counsel is helpful to the other spouse to heal. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's part of your situation, so I don't I don't it's want to spend him. too much time on this, but um, this seems more like you, you know, just the path you're going with Quinn. Um, so that's just food for thought. I, I let's move forward because um, you've got more of your story to tell. Yeah. So, um, so that happened, and then um, I. Since then, I've tried to go back to church a few times. I've tried, I you know, I since that experience, I tried to go back to church, but then I realized I couldn't say anything in second hour, or um, people were uncomfortable with um, me being there with my wife. So I ended up trying to go to a, a ward nearby and attend that, but it also it kind of felt a little homeless, like trying to look for a place where I could feel comfortable at church again. Um, but so far, so where I'm at today is I know God loves me and I know he's a part of my journey. And um, I do believe that there is room for everyone in God's church. Um, I do not feel comfortable going to my church here in Southern California because of the things that I've been through. Um, but I, I have hope that there is space for people like me somewhere. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. And I feel like over my life, I've kind of, I don't know, just kind of like some big lessons that I've learned is 
one, compassion will always go farther and get better results than shame and judgment. You know, just like you said, if if there's a chance that people are going to come back to church, it's because it's going to be because of love, not because of judgment. Um, the other thing is that I feel like opposing ideas can be true at the same time. Um, I believe that President Nelson is a prophet. And I also believe that I'm supposed to be married to Quinn Kelly. And some people feel like those two things cannot be true. But I, I feel it. I know it, actually. I believe those things. Um, I believe that family is central to the creator's plan. I also believe that that includes gay families and divorced families and broken families, you know? Um, I believe that the Book of Mormon is an inspired text. And I also believe that Joseph Smith was a human and, you know, made mistakes sometimes. So I think that that, like, sometimes you get these opposing views that don't quite mixed, but it's all around us. And, um, I felt that in my life. And the last thing that honestly, I feel like has been one of my biggest motivators for talking about my story is that I believe that diversity is divine. Um, I spent 30 years trying to not be diverse to try and just be exactly the molds that I thought God wanted for me. Um, but it wasn't until I stepped out of that mold and accepted who I was, that I was really able to feel the pure love of Christ. Because when you, when you tell people who you really are and they still choose to show up for you and, um, they still show love for you, that was a love that I didn't know existed. And that's the pure love of Christ that I experience now that I would have never felt had I stayed in a mold of what I thought everybody else wanted me to be. And I think that we, when we welcome diversity, we allow ourselves and other people around us to be more Christ-like and more God-like and, um, and yeah, I think God created diversity and it's a good thing. I'm just really moved by that last segment. I don't want to talk. <laughs> See if there are more <laughs> things you want to say. I mean, I could go on. I could go on with, um, you know, I just, I'm so grateful to know people that are different than me. You know, I know a lot of, um, one of my good friends right now is Megan Decker. She is in a mixed orientation marriage. That is a very different life path than mine. But I'm so glad to know her and know her experience. And even though, like I said before, these two things seem opposite. Megan feels called in one way and I feel called in a different way. But knowing her and her story and how she got where she is, 
has made me learn how to love more like Christ would, you know? And I feel like when we don't allow diversity, we limit ourselves. We limit the amount of love that we are capable of showing and growing in. Tell us um, about Megan Decker's book so our listeners can be aware of it and perhaps read it. Yeah. So Megan Decker um, wrote this book and it's kind of about her journey um, of like coming out to herself and her spouse and her family. And she's in a mixed orientation marriage. Um, And she interviewed a bunch of women about um, their experiences with same-sex attraction um, and their orientation. And I, um, I'm actually in there under the pseudonym um, May. Um, And she has a few different quotes from me in there. And I just love that she, you know, her path is hers and it's beautiful and it is, um, it's a great book to be able, you know, you really get in there and learn about some of the difficulties of navigating, um, being in the church and, um, having same sex attraction or, you know, being gay. And, um, it's, it's really, it's a really good book. I think, I think everybody can learn, um, something from reading it. So. Um, then that's Tender Leaves of Hope is the name of the book, or Mercy, Tender Leaves of Hope, I think. Yeah, yeah, Tender Leaves of Hope, yeah. Um, there was a couple really, there was a bunch of good gems in there. I love that you shared your testimony of President Nelson, and also you're supposed to be married to Quinn Kelly. Um, and I just, I, I, honor, I honor that. Um, I just, I, I don't, receive personal revelation for you and your path. Um, so I just honor your path and your feelings and, and your marriage to Quinn. Um, I don't sit on the sidelines and hope that marriage fails. Um, if you two responsible adults have felt this is your best path forward, you both know it's outside the teachings of the church. You've been pretty clear. You know you and grieve. You can't participate in the temple because I sense you have a testimony of the temple and the church. And so you're in this double bind that Bryce Cook coined for me t- four years ago, father of a couple of gay sons. My gay sons want to fully participate in the church and want to have a partner. Um, and straight people aren't in that double bind. And so um, it causes me to just have empathy and compassion and, and recognize you face complexities that I don't face. But I'll walk with you and I'll support you. And um, I'll honor the personal revelation. Another principle you taught is to honor people's paths. Sometimes somebody takes a path and they want everybody to take that same path to sort of validate their path. Um, it takes great grace. And you just did that with Maggie and your dear friend. And you didn't do, there was no language there that caused her to feel she's not living her truth or her path is not authentic. And I think that's the way we should, you know, if, we should just treat people. Sometimes society says to live your truth, you've got to do it this way. Um, mm-hmm. And even if you're in the community and you're chosen a path, there might be a natural tendency to say other people should choose the path this way. But I just think we create, that's part of the purpose of this podcast is not to have one correlated story. Um, to yeah. bring a range of stories and a range of experiences. It's grown my heart 
as I've heard these stories, Megan. So I love the way you honor Megan's path. And I love the way she honors your path. And I love that you're part of her book. And um, I'm just... So anyway, Megan's story is, and I encourage our listeners to read her book. And I like that Megan brought a lot of stories into her book and not only her story. And as our listeners may know, Megan and I went to high school together. Um, <laughs> we're two pictures away from our yearbook because her married name, maiden name is Peters. She's a terrific <laughs> woman. And I love what she's doing to support um, all paths, including her own path. Um, so. I love your testimony, the Book of Mormon. I, I used to think that everybody that wasn't fully participating in the church didn't have a testimony of the church or didn't believe parts of the church. And I recognize it's more nuanced than that. And um, so I love that you continue to hold on these things. And I think part of our responsibility as the body of the Christ is to create space so you feel like someone like you with your feelings is needed and welcome. And and maybe we get to the point where you can speak and share your testimony of President Nelson in second hour and your love of the Book of Mormon, because I sense you'd like to do that. And it's I would love to feel. do that. <laughs> so um, I just recognize we've got more progress to make in this space. And, um, and I look at Christ and what he did and what he modeled. I love your line, diversity is divine. Diversity is divine. That's a cool statement. And um, I think from a doctrinal perspective, that takes me to, I forget what chapter in Corinthians, I say it so much, but it's, and now I forget if it's Peter or Paul, but talking about the body of Christ and how all parts of the body of Christ are needed. And to me, mm -hmm. that is diversity is divine. And not only that, it allows us to accomplish more than we could accomplish if we just were this monolithic homogeneous group. And I've really rethought what Zion is to me. Zion isn't sameness anymore. Zion, mm -hmm. Zion is what you just shared, diversity. And we can accomplish more um, with using our diversity. My And I don't want to spend too much time talking, listeners, but my wife and I attended our son's graduation in Southern California at UCLA this past um, couple weeks. Um, great accomplishment for him to get his MBA from UCLA, but we had the worldwide CEO of United Way speak, and I've forgotten her name, but I believe her last name is Williams, and she talked about three things, and the first thing was be your authentic self, and um, how important, then she talked about how important that is for um, organizations to take people in their authentic self to be able to accomplish its organizational goals. And she was sort of making the point within the United Way how important it is for people to be authentic in who they are and how that strengthens the United Way and its worldwide mission to leave, leave hunger. And I thought about that in the context of our own church and how um, I do agree that this is how God created you, Sadie. I used to think that everybody would push the red button that's not straight and be straight. And then some people kind of helped me understand, not everybody, some would push it and want to be straight because um, it's a tough road, but a lot just sort of say, this is how God created me. I'm not a mistake. Um, I used to be worried that, well, that means you're going to you know, leave the church, but I recognize it just takes shame away so you don't feel you're a mistake and often increases your relationship with Heavenly Father because you see mm -hmm. that you're created as you're intended. Um, 
So anyway, I, I love that of just accepting who you are and believing. I think everybody needs to look in the mirror, listeners, and, and feel that how they're created is not a mistake and that every part about them is how our heavenly parents intended us to be. And that doesn't change doctrine or teachings. It just puts us all on the same moral footing to feel we're children of heavenly parents created equally in their eyes. So those are just some thoughts I'm building on what you shared. Any more thoughts? Come, And I, we haven't talked too much about Quinn, but I sense she's just awesome. And I, would, I wish you could, everybody could see your face when you talk about Quinn, because you just light up and I can tell that, you know, she compliments you and helps you accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Yeah, she's been an incredible blessing in my life. And that's, I, um, I feel so, so lucky to have her and be able to walk through life with her. And, um, and my kids get her as a stepmom. And um, it's really, um, it's really a beautiful thing to be on this side of everything that's happened. And, um, you know, there's obviously, tricky things to navigate through still, but, um, being with and getting to learn and grow with Quinn is, um, like the delight of my life. So I'm, I'm so happy. I'm glad you're happy. And, um, I've always felt like monogamy is a good thing and you're in a monogamous (laughs) relationship. And I, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I keep saying this, I apologize. Yeah, that's outside the teachings of our church, but there's a lot of ways to live life outside the teachings of our church. And I've always felt uh, monogamy is a good thing and being a committed monogamous long-term relationship. And um, I think you've done this at a good time in your life, Um, a position of strength. I've always felt to make faith-based versus fear-based decisions. And this is kind of advice to younger LGBTQ Latter-day Saints is, Eventually, you're going to have to write your own story in this space. And I think Mm -hmm. it's okay to listen to Sadie's and Quinn's story um, and listen to Megan's story and listen to Ben Chilotti's story. And and if you're a teenager, you're going to eventually need to come to that fork in the road and write your own story. If you're a teenager, you may not need to write to come to that fork in the road, even though you know it's there in the future. My general advice is to just be the best self you can be. Develop your emotional foundation, your spiritual foundation, your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Perhaps you can serve a mission that will help others come into Christ and build your own spiritual foundation. And at some point, you're going to have to write your own story. But I think that's a theme that I'd really communicate is listen to Sadie's podcast, listen to Megan's podcast, listen to Ben Shalotti, um, Charlie Bird, David Archuleta, the range of stories to give you principles and insights, but don't take their story and say, that's my story. Mm-hmm. Write your own story, but write it when it's time to write it and write it when you're your personal best and you're not doing it out of fear, but you're doing it out of faith and courage and strength. And I sense that's part of your story is you went through a really difficult time. Um, but you got to the point where you could write your own story and it came at a really wonderful time when you met Quinn. Um, Mm -hmm. and I sense joy and happiness and peace and it's a little tricky. Um, but I sense you're in a good spot. Are are you okay with that? Would you share similar advice to younger people? Are you okay with that? Do you want to add? Yeah, no, I think if I added anything, it would just be that like from my story, I, 
or I guess I would say, don't write your story before it's written. I think Explain, some people decide, good. some people decide what, you know, oh, this person did this, that's what I'm going to do. And I think I have, con- if you would have asked me 10 years ago that I would be where I am now, at where I'm at now, I would have, I would have called you a liar. I wouldn't have believed it in a million years. So, um, I think that it's important to learn from other people's stories, but leave, leave your own to you. You can create your own story with God and it is gonna turn out more beautiful than you can imagine yourself. So don't write it before it's done. You just, anything when a guest gives hope to somebody that makes me happy. And that's a beautiful statement of hope. And I'm thinking of you teenagers that are listening (laughs) at night alone in your room and it's dark and you're completely closeted everybody. Um, You might be in a really dark spot, but you know, Turn to your Heavenly Father. He loves you. Listen to the advice Sadie gave to you. You're going to be okay. Sadie got through some really tough spots um, emotionally, and you may be in a really tough spot, but I think your best days are ahead of you. And I think your older self, Sadie's older self, just kind of spoke to her younger self. Mm-hmm. I think if you're lying in your bed right now and it's 2 in the morning and you're feeling despair um, and you're 17, I think your 27-year-old self or your 37-year-old self, if they could talk to you right now, would fill you with hope and let you know you're going to be okay and your best days are ahead of you. Um, And to just, like Sadie said, you know, you're going to write your own story and own your own story and you're going to be okay. So Sadie and I said a prayer at the beginning of this podcast. We just hope this is helpful bring us together the same human family it's a complicated space if there are things i've said you don't agree with or aren't comfortable with that's okay um if you're an ally and you're trying to do the best you can and you're not comfortable with everything i said that's okay i'm not trying to create a correlated space for allies either Mm -hmm. um i'm just doing my best as a committed latter-day saint to talk about this space to bring us together um and to honor individual paths and um, our prayer is that you will act on the impressions you felt in your circle of influence, whether you're a parent, whether you're LGBTQ or queer, whether you're an ally, just how we can do better um, to bring us together as the same human family and bring hope and love and healing. And so this is Sadie Rogers and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.